Thank you for checking out the podcast of Eastern Assembly of God in Baltimore, Maryland. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us at www.easternassembly.org. He's a God of great favor, isn't he? He does amazing things. Wow, and I love you guys. I've been at this church so many times, and you've always been so gracious, uh, not only to participate in the crusade while I've been here, but to sow seed into our life and our ministry. I know many of you pray for us, and some of you have even gone with us to the nations of the world, your pastor included in that way. Um, I got to tell you, I, I love your pastor. I love his wife. You have an incredible ministry family here is what you've got, people who are the real deal. Who live it out? Who live it out? Um, I, I I won't take long. I'm going to get to the message, but I I just got to tell you, uh, June marked the 51st year of this ministry. It, it, there's things that catch your eye in the beginning of what you do uh, that may not catch your eye so much at the end of what you do. Things that you notice or things that impress you. Uh, I will tell you today. Um, I appreciate gifts, I appreciate powerful ministries, I appreciate crowds, I appreciate visibility, all of that. Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But what I have learned to appreciate more than anything else is longevity. Uh, People that make it for more than a year or a 15 minutes of fame. Uh, Shooting stars don't impress me too much anymore. I look up and say, that's nice. Will they be here tomorrow? And to see a man and woman of God like what you've got who have walked this distance. And I know we're not at the end of the road yet, so we're, we're going to do this humbly. But to walk this distance and stay pure and stay on target and never lose the focus of Jesus, that's huge. That's huge. And you are blessed with a jewel like that here in the leadership of your church. You really are. You really are. Well, tonight's going to be a great uh, service for people to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He's healed so many already this week. And if you need a miracle today, Jesus is here. Nothing's impossible. All right? But I want to talk to you tonight in particular about one of the deep passions of my soul. I believe that every believer should receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then let me say it beyond that. I believe every believer should live full of the Holy Spirit. So an initial experience is great, but it should be taken into a lifestyle. And tonight, for those who have never had the initial moment, it will happen for you, and it will happen for you without weirdness. If you've been a little concerned about opening your heart to the gift of the Holy Ghost because you think it's kind of freaky, let me tell you, when you meet this one, he's never weird. He is glorious. He will blow your mind, but he's not weird. I believe you'll experience God in a wonderful way tonight. And for those of you that have already received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I think there's more for you. In fact, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. So please open your heart and and receive that from the King of Glory. I have my scriptures open to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. Would you like to find that? Ephesians 3. I'm going to read verses 20 and 21 for the text today. And I'm going to talk to you about the abundance of our God. All right? Ephesians 3, from the word of the Lord, verse 20. And may I 
invite you to stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. The writer says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all. Come on, someone help me preach this. Say above all. Above. Yeah. Look at that again. Now to him. It's always about him, you know. It's, it's always because of him. There's, there's, no, it's, there's never another one. He's really it. That's not a super spiritual talk. That's the truth. If he's out of the equation, it doesn't work. It doesn't work because we have formulas, because we've said prayers. It's always because of him. Amen. So now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Huh. We're thinking way too small. Do you know that? And we're asking way too little. Yeah, we do. We serve a great God. And, and it's not just that he's capable. He puts this out here to stretch us. Do you understand why he's saying this? You know, people say, well, that, you know, just, that's too much. Oh, no. God's looking at us and he's saying there's never too much. I'm more than enough. That's what his name is. More than enough. Abraham was asking for a boy, a son. God couldn't think that small. A son, can you just give me one? Can I, can, can I just eat out one kid that I can give my inheritance to? I don't want to give. He said, God, you made me the wealthiest man in the earth. And I'm going to give it all to a manager because I don't have an heir. And God's there thinking, I can't think that's small. So he waits till the guy's 99 years old. And then he says, Kings are going to come out of you, and nations will come out of you. And your seed is like the stars of the sky and the, and the grains of sand by the scene. He's, he, he's the God, and he, and he introduced himself as El Shaddai, the one who's more than enough. You know, he hasn't changed. Why are we thinking so small? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Wow. Okay. You got to believe that now. It's right there. You think you're insufficient. You think you're deficient. You think you don't have enough faith. He says, I can do exceedingly abundantly above anything you've ever asked for or anything you've ever thought according to the power that's working in you. Now, I know there's different power working in different people, but I got to tell you, the disciples didn't get this. That's why they said, when Jesus talked about things of faith one day, they said, you're going to have to increase our faith. And we all read that and thought, what a great prayer. But if you had read his answer, you'd have never prayed their prayer. Because that's when he turned to them and said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd say to this mountain, remove to another place and it would obey you and nothing would be impossible to you. I'm going to tell you the work he's already done in you is absolutely stupendous. According to the power that works in us, to him, here we go again, it's all centered around him, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you.
so much that's in my heart that I want to talk to you about today, and, and, and particularly out of this verse that the Lord has been dealing with me about for a number of years. But, but I want to talk to you about, about this, this, but this particular idea that there's something working in you by the hand of God that is more than enough and sufficient. It is his, it is his presence. It is his gifting. You see, I fundamentally believe something. I didn't believe this years ago. I, do, I definitely believe it now. And that is that we are very poor appraisers of the work of God. Very poor appraisers. We, we don't mean to be, but we constantly miss the mark, devalue what God is doing. And I'm not trying to say that we're rude and unbelievers. I'm saying we just don't know what's in our hands. We don't know what is right before us. Uh, it, it's kind of like some of those TV shows, you know. Uh, I, I've seen something like this on Discovery or whatever where people bring stuff out of their attic or garage to, you know, a guy who's supposed to understand, you know, antiques and stuff like that. And they think they just got a piece of junk from their grandma. And the guy looks at it and says, oh, no, that thing, that, that's, that's worth $25,000. And they're like, oh, really? I, you know, I've been just keeping it in the garage on, on a shelf, you know. Of course, some of the stuff they have is junk, but that's another thought. But, uh, but, but here's the deal. You've got to be able to properly appraise something. Yeah. Amen. yeah. And, and we can't always do that. Again, on the same kind of thought, my son-in-law is planning a church in Las Vegas right now. And then, in fact, I was there for a revival this past Sunday through Wednesday. And some of you may have seen that, the, the, the program Pawn Stars, you know. And, and here these guys bring this stuff into the pawn shop. And this guy then sometimes says, I'm going to have to bring in an expert because I don't know if what I'm looking at is worth something or not worth something. And they bring an expert in and they find out that the guy said he wanted, you know, 5000 for something and it's worth 50000 He doesn't know what he's looking at. We're those people. We don't understand the pearl of great price. We don't realize that, that he has taken his treasure and he's put it in an earthen vessel. Now, I'm not just here to try and make you like, oh, this is a feel-good-about-me sermon. Oh, no, I want you to understand the quality of his workmanship. The Word of God says that you are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. There's the center again. It's not about you. It is about him. But when he's in you, who? You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There's nobody in this room that is a dud. There are no losers in the household of God. There should be Absolutely no depression in our life. There should be no suicide with our teens. We need to understand. And it's happening because we don't know what we are. It's happening because we don't realize what he's done. We've taken our cues from a blind world or from absurd people who have no idea of what it means to be transformed into the image of the wondrous, glorious God. You are, not, not you're going to be, not if I pray for you and have great faith. You are his workmanship. You're already there. Created in Christ Jesus, the scripture says, unto good works, which the Lord before ordained. You know I'm quoting a Bible verse right now? 
Like, Lord, before ordained, that, that is before you understood, before you believed, before you asked, before you even thought about it, before you came into this world, he already had that design set up for you. Before ordained that you should walk in that, and walk in the scripture means lifestyle. In other words, you should live this way. Wow. Praise God. So again, now in my whole life, my whole object as I walk through life, and even in scripture, I keep, I keep Dale ever aware of something. Um, Dale, you're a poor praiser of the work of God. You, th- you think you get it. And, and you are seeing some things. Boy. But in the day of his appearing, when this mortal will put on immortality and this natural mind will no longer be limited as it is. The unveiling of him who is altogether glorious and who you are when the treasure that's here becomes obvious, it's going to blow our minds. We think we're going to talk to him about all the questions we had and all the hard spots we went through and we didn't understand. I got news for you. We're not going to have any questions about that. When we see what he has done in us, I think, I told, I told the first group, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I told the first group this, that I think that, that half an hour silence in heaven might be because we're so blown away about what he's done in us that we're going to be going, oh, 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 no, oh, my, oh, really? Oh, wow. Why did I live like such a dud? He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Now, I could have been a lot more comfortable if he would have said, according to the power in his mighty throne. According to, you know, his, his authority in all of the universe. But he didn't say that. He says, I can do that according to the power that's working in you. Working in you. Now, let me tell you, there's some power in you that's not working. And you need to know how to activate that, how to open your heart to that. But I'm going to tell you, there's enough in you right now that's working that you can turn your world upside down. There is. There's enough working in you. Right now, there's enough working faith. We need to apply that which we have. We need to start walking out what we've got. We spend way too much time asking him to do stuff that he's already done, and we're waiting for something to come that's already here. We are. We just need to start stepping up to the plate. You get what I'm saying? We need to start. We need to start living out what we already believe what we already know. We need to start thinking things that our head says, no way. But the scripture says, absolutely. Be stretched in that way. So there's a couple of things I'm coming to figure out. One is I'm a poor praiser of the work of God. I need the help of the Spirit to help me see. That's, that's the one that gets called in. Let me call a friend. Well, he comes alongside the help, and he helps us see this wonder of Christ and the wonder of his workmanship in you. And another thing that I figured out is that we don't know how to count. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let me give you several examples. Let me, let me tell you about a time that I was ministering in West Virginia. And uh, 
it was it was a church that once had been a very large church, and then they had gone down in attendance. And the lead guy that had originally planted it came back in and was doing what he called a turnaround, and he was building it back up. And so, and he called me in. We're friends. He said, "Would you come in and help me with this? I'd be glad to." So we came. I came on in, and uh, we had several nights of services. And it was a Monday night service, and there was about 150 people present. And I was speaking on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I love this outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And uh, uh, but this was a strong uh, uh, pastor. And, and Pentecostal full gospel. So uh, out of that 150, when I said, who's not yet received the gift of the Holy Ghost, would you come up? There was only 11 people, 11 people out of the entire group that had not yet received the gift of the Spirit. And, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is one of the prominent gifts within my life. So it's, it's very common that when we pray with people to get the Holy Spirit, that yeah, pretty well everybody will, will get it right there. I mean, it's, if I, I pray with 10 people, you know there's nine, eight or nine going to get it for sure, but probably 10 out of 10 will get it. That's just, it's, it's more, it's more I, how can I say, percentage-wise, it's a higher percentage than, than any of the others, in divine healing or in, uh, or in salvation. Now, we actually see more people saved and healed than we see baptized in the Holy Ghost, but not percentage-wise. I wish, I wish I could tell you that almost everybody I preach to gets saved. I can't say that. A lot of people do, but not, not just about everybody. And, and the same with divine healing. We'll see sometimes even 1,000 healed in a service, but, uh, but there will be, it'll be eight or 10,000 that, that will be present. Uh, but on Holy Ghost services, it'll be just about... If, tonight, I'm telling you, if you haven't received the gift of the Holy Ghost, get ready, dude. It's going to happen. It, it, it'll happen for you. It really will. Uh, but anyhow, that night, about 11 came up that had not yet spoken tongues, and, and I prayed with them, and... and uh, all of them spoke in tongues. Every one of them received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so, and, and I, I remember, I can still clearly see that night. I, I don't remember every night that clearly because I've preached way too many services, but I still see that, that, that those 11 standing up there. And, and so I thought, well, this has just been a great night because, I mean, it's 11 people out of 150, but the others had already received, and this was everybody. So I felt like it was an Acts 2 moment, and they were all filled. I mean, you can't get more filled. That's like... You, you get it. Three years later, I was ministering in uh, Nukuru, Kenya. And what we generally do in our, in our African crusades is we'll, we deal with uh, pastors and leaders in the daytime. We'll do a conference for them. And then we do an afternoon uh, evening crusade for the lost that are in the area. But we believe that if you can impact the leaders, you can impact the nation. And so we always take time with leaders in that way, and we feed them, we provide materials for them and teaching and all of that. And Africa's a little different in nature than America. In America, if you're doing a conference, and what you do is you just simply, you know, blanket the information out. You put it out on whatever, social media, magazines, whatever, and you let people know, hey, we're having a conference, everybody come, and people will come from wherever, all over the state, maybe all over the nation, if it's a big enough draw. And, you know, they, they fly themselves in, they get their hotel, they have their food allowance that they got from their family or their church, whatever, and then they come to you and they pay for the seminar, you know, a fee to get in, and they buy your, your materials that you got in the back, all that stuff. They may even give it an offering. That is kind of how things happen here in the United States. That's not how it works in Africa. In Africa, if you invite them, that means you are committing yourself to taking full care of them. So now they, their job is to get there, all right? So you don't pay their way there. But after that, if their foot hits the property, then, buddy, you better have a place for them to rest. You better have some food. You have to feed them. Uh, and, and then if there's any materials, uh, you got to give it because they don't have money for that kind of thing. And there is no cost factor involved in, or, or offering. I mean, that's, that's just that's the culture. That's the way it is. So I understand that. And so in, in 
in Africa, what we have to do is we have to look at the resources that we have, and then we say to our lead guy there, all right, we have enough to do 100 pastors or 200 pastors or 400 pastors, whatever, leaders, and that's how it handles. And so we had about 200 that were out at that event, and we had finished, I had finished the teaching and the others that I had with me, uh, and you've been there and you've done teaching like that in those events, and then uh, we were going to feed them all, all right? So we got the people coming in to cater the whole thing, and then I was stepping out of this room that we had, this big hotel uh, conference room to go into their open air cafe, which is for anybody in the hotel or in the neighborhood. And there was wash basins over there. So I was just going to wash up. And as I was walking to the wash basins, I heard someone call out in Swahili, Mazungu, Mazungu. Now, I don't know a lot of Swahili, but I've been, south, I've been in East Africa a lot. I've been southwest and east, but East Africa predominantly. So I know a little Swahili. When I heard someone yelling out, uh, uh, Mzumgu, Mzumgu, I realized they were saying, white guy. Well, that pretty much narrowed down in the area who they might be talking to. Uh, I mean, but there were a couple other Mzumgus I had with me, so I thought, ah, you know, I got to wash up because I got it. Guys are waiting for me, so I, I just kept moving. I was on a mission, you know. And as I started heading still toward the wash basins, now I heard the voice again, and it's very close behind me, saying, Mzumgu, Mzumgu. I t- turned around, and it's another Mzumgu. And I thought, wow, what's this guy doing, you know? And, uh, and he looks at me when I turn around, and he says, you're the Holy Ghost guy. I thought, well, there you go. There's a title I never put on my business card. Uh, and I said, oh? He says, yeah, let me, let, my wife is right over here. Let me bring you to her. And I, I came over, she was seeing, she looked up, she said, oh, it's the Holy Ghost guy. And I thought, all right, that's kind of weird. Uh, and, and they went on to tell me, they said, you know, uh, three years ago, uh, we were in your service in West Virginia. And uh, one of the nights you spoke on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You taught on it and then prayed with it. There was 11 of us. And we were right on the end. And I remembered that. And they says, and we received, along with the others, the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the Lord called us into this ministry. And, and, the, and the lead pastor of that church uh, is a... He's, he's like he's, he covers about 500 churches, uh, a part of his network, and a Bible school there in Eldorado and in Kenya. And, and he said in, he ordained them, and their job was to lead others into this baptism of the Holy Spirit. They said, now what we did is we took your notes from that night. And we have taught that same message for the last three years. So far, they said, we've had over 3,000 leaders in Kenya receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Now, I looked at that thing and I thought, I was sure there was 11. Because I thought I could count. But he looked at that, and I don't know what he saw now. Now I realize I can't count at all. Because he looked at that, and when he saw the two on the end, he said, I don't see 11 here. He says, I see 3,000. And actually, that was several years ago. How many? I don't know. I can't count. I realize that today. I realize that today. Wow. There's always more. Exceedingly abundantly. Above all that you can ask or think. According to the power that works in you. Don't you believe the lie that you are ineffective or what you're doing doesn't count or doesn't count much. 
George Barna is a writer. Does anybody know who George Barna is? Your pastor would know right away. George is uh, uh, George is not a writer of Christian uh, theology. What he is is a statistician. He's like the Gallup of Gallup polls, except what he does is he does it all for Christ, all through Christianity. His focus isn't on what's happening in other arenas, but in Christianity. And so what he does is he takes mass polls, and then he puts the information together like a pollster would, and he draws assumptions from them. So, for example, he might like take polls from how many people went to Sunday school back in the 50s, and then how many people went to Sunday school in the 70s, and how many people went to Sunday school in the 90s, and how many people are going to Sunday school today. And then he'll put all that information together and, and look at the rise and fall of Sunday school. And he'll say, well, this is the reasons why this is what's going on in churches and society and so on. And he's quite masterful in the way he observes things like that. Well, some time ago, what he did was he did a mass poll across this nation about people who are in church as to how they entered. How did you come to church? Why are you here? What is it that brought you into the family of God? And this is what he found out. He said that 90% of the people that attend church today, when asked that question, could either point to someone or name the person because they might be deceased now or have moved away. He said they either pointed to someone or they could name the person that either won them to Christ or invited them that only 10% of the people that attend church today in America came in just because they watched a broadcast or picked up a Gideon Bible or read a track, that actually it was you that made the difference. And when I read that, I thought, wow, because most of us feel like that if we invite someone, they'll say no. Most of us believe that if we reached out, that it would be a rejection and, not, and it wouldn't produce any fruit. And so many of us, I'm going to say probably the majority of us, hardly ever, ever, ever invite someone to come at all. We want it all to be done through Facebook ads. Oh, don't look at me in that tone of voice. <laughs> but the stats show, the stats show that 90% of the people that are in the household of God today are here not because of preachers and not because of ads, but because of friends. Can I tell you something? You got more in you than what you know. And we've been believing a lie that's told us that we don't have much or that what we got, no one would be interested in. And what the truth is, the truth is that you've got what it takes. Come on. You've got what it takes to accomplish these things. Yeah. Can I tell you another story? Well, I got the microphone. I'm going to anyhow, so you might as well just have a good attitude about it. <laughs> I'm talking about he does exceedingly more than what you can imagine. Yeah, uh, again, I was, uh, it happened to be a, a case in, uh, in Kenya where we were ministering. And we do, I mentioned, in the evening crusades, which are large, and lots of people get saved and such like that. And, and that's nice. But we also do daytime stuff. In addition to pastor schools, we also uh, do neighborhood outreaches. We got this flatbed truck that we take out. And, and, uh, and did you see the truck? Yeah, you saw it, didn't you? And with big speakers on it. And the folks that come with us in churches give their testimonies. We pray with people there in the marketplace. Well, in 15 to 20 minutes around that truck, we'll 
have anywhere from 300 to as many as 700. I've actually seen 1,200 gather around that truck within 30 minutes, and we share the gospel with them, and then we point them toward the, on that truck within 30 minutes, and we share the gospel with them, and then we point them toward the crusade at night. And, and, uh, and But we had this one opportunity where one of the imams in town, one of the Muslim imams uh, who was friends with my crusade director for 12 years, this is, uh, we've had a long-time relationship, very fr- uh, close friends. He said, you know, we don't need to have friction in our city between the uh, Islam and Christianity. He said, so they show themselves very friendly together around town. And, and he said this, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to invite your team from America to come and speak your message right in our mosque during the weekday. We thought, hot dog, how about that, you know? But when the, but when the men of the mosque found out what the imam had offered, they shut that baby down right there. And that's pretty unusual. Usually they'll follow the imam, but the men said, this is a, uh, that's not going to take place. We're not going to have them preaching this Jesus in right in our mosque. But they did comply to this. They said, here's what we will do. We will, uh, we're going to let them stand on the steps of going into the mosque so they can have a little elevation, and whoever then will come on the property can hear what they have to say. Hey, we'll take what we can get, Right? So that's what we did. We brought the team there. There were testimonies given. There was some song, you know, and the gospel was proclaimed. And, and, uh, and when we finished, there were three Muslim women that responded to receive Jesus as Lord. And I met with those ladies. I did. I met with them in private because we had one that took place. All of a sudden, it became very unfriendly. And those ladies were under an immediate death threat from their families. So unfortunately, we had to actually take them and put them in hiding. We had to move them from one Christian's home to another Christian's home. And I met them in private uh, after their conversion. And I was rejoicing, though, that, praise God, we had, we had three. Come on. We had three. Hey, three, it's worth it, isn't it? It's worth the whole trip. We had three get saved. And I believed, yeah. I believe there was three because I don't know how to count. But what happened was we did the best we could to keep them obscure, but one of the ladies, their brother, found out where they were being kept. And I don't know how he found out, but he did, and he got there, and he confronted them. When he did, this is what he told us. He said, when I saw their countenance, and I don't know how to describe this to you. I've got photos of it, not of them, but you have no idea what darkness looks like till you look on the face of some of these African women that have been horribly oppressed. And he said, I saw their countenance, the joy that was there, the peace that was there. He said, I'd never seen that on my sister's face, never. He said, maybe I need to hear your story. And the three told of what happened when they encountered Christ that day. And instead of being abusive, he slipped to his knees, and he said, I need this Jesus too. Yeah. And I thought to myself when I left, remember I got on the plane leaving the country and I thought, wow, Lord, I thought there was three, but uh, you knew there was four. Yeah, how about that? I can't count. I came back uh, 18 months later with my daughter and uh, I met my crusade director in, in Nairobi where he picked me up from the airport and we went to dinner and as we sat there and I said, you know, tell me, tell me a little bit about what's happened with the ladies. 
Because I remember the three ladies came to Christ and the brother. What, what's happened since then? How are they growing in the Lord? Are they developing? Oh, he says, let me tell you what happened. He says, you know, the, the, the uh, regional imam, uh, not, not that local, the regional imam, his daughter, very prominent, also very well educated, and she was studying religions. So she decided she wanted to talk to these ladies. And when she talked to them, well, you know what happened, don't you? She also all heard this gospel that pierced her heart, and she received Jesus as Lord. And so, and so now we got five, see? And then, and then she takes one of our teams across the border into Somalia. Now, that's a, that's a few years ago, and I mean not like 10 years ago or something, but it's a few years ago, and you, you can't do that now, not if you want to breathe. Yeah, it, it'd be over with in a moment. Uh, but they, they got to the border, and the border patrol was there when they crossed over to the Somalia side. And they looked at it when we had a bus. So there were several of us in there. And, and they told the driver, they said, you need to turn this bus around now and get back across that border into Kenya and do it as fast as you can and go deep in. Because I'm telling you, every one of these men will be dead before the day is over with. And every one of these women will at least be raped. And at that point, the imam's daughter stepped out of the bus. And when she did, all those men came to attention. And she said, you know who I am? They said, yes, ma'am, we do. They said, you know who my father is? They said, absolutely. Uh, she said, these are my friends. And the captain of the guard said, well, then there will be no problem because I will send armed men with you everywhere you go. And they went to a Muslim refugee camp, about 7,000 there. And she stood up first and she said, you all know who I am and you all know who my father is. But I'm going to introduce you to some people that introduced me to one called Jesus. And they're going to tell you what they told me. And she opened the door that way. That day, 3,000 of those refugees lifted their hands to say, I need this Jesus now in my life. They crossed the border that day, and that's the last time we've been able to go across. That's it. And I looked at that, and I said to myself, wow, I thought there was three and then I thought I figured it out that there were four. But he looked at it and said, no, I see a fifth. And in that fifth, I see 3,000. And now we've not been able to cross that border since. In fact, it's not even safe to go to the border anymore. I just wonder now, knowing, understanding now that I don't know how to count, I wonder how many within that 3,000 have carried a good news into an area that people like me and you cannot go into. Exceedingly abundantly above. All that you can ask. All that you can ask. All that you can ask. Why are we asking so small? Really, someone says, oh, you don't want to get greedy. Oh, I don't think you can get there. You're talking about the God of more. Hmm. He is that extraordinary. 
And I tell them about my daughter. I did it in the first service. Would that be okay? Let me bring it home. I've got two wonderful children. I've got a son and a daughter. Uh, both of them now are pastors. My son is planning a church in the Dallas area. It's about a year old now. I think they had their celebration their first year two weeks ago. And then uh, my daughter and her husband are, have planted a church in Las Vegas. And uh, we're gambling on that being a success. That was, that was just wrong, wasn't it? That was just wrong. That was just wrong. <laughs> I got to recover from that. Uh, but they, they're both very fruitful in Christ, and we rejoice in what God is doing. But when Ashley was finishing high school, I was pastoring at that time. Some of you know I evangelized for a number, number of years, and I pastored for 15 years. And this was my, well, as far as I know, was my last pastor. We'll see what the future looks like, but this is all I can see right now. And, uh, uh, and we were having a revival at the church. I, not, I wasn't preaching it. I had an evangelist in, a friend of mine from South Africa, and he was preaching a, a revival. And, uh, and, and Ashley was, uh, was in her senior year. Now, she already sensed the call of God in her life, and she was going to go to Bible school. And the Bible school was in Dallas, in, in Dallas itself, not on the outskirts of Dallas, in Dallas itself. And uh, so uh, she had her driver's license. Uh, <clears throat> but it's one thing to have driver's license, another thing to have driving skills. <laughs> All right? <laughs> so uh, my wife and I talked about it. And we thought, wow, this girl's going to be graduating. Uh, and, and, I mean, she's driven my car. She's driven our wife's car, you know, a little bit with her, with her license. But she doesn't have driving skills. And we're in a city that was much smaller. I mean, I mean Tyler at that time was like, like I think, 100,000 people, you know. And, and Dallas is, I don't know, you know, a couple million. Actually, the Metroplex is close to 6 million uh, people. And I said, this girl's got, she's going to be able to drive better than this so she needs to have a car where she has some you know some experience and some miles and uh, and of course Ashley was real happy about that yeah 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 car I'd like to have a car dad oh absolutely I want a car what do you think we should do I said well I, I think you should get a job <laughs> come on I didn't hear any moms and dads shouting amen amen now that's real preaching right there brother <laughs> I said so I just start by getting a job and saving money you got a year to do it so she did. She got a job, and she managed her money well, and she was putting money in the bank every week toward getting in that car, and, and here we come to this revival, and, and then at, one night into the meeting, after it was over with, my wife comes to me, and my wife said to me, you need to talk to your daughter. Now, come on. Every man in this house understands right now what happens in your stomach. <laughs> Hello. When your wife says, you need to talk to your daughter. I says, okay, well, what's going on? She said, well, she came to me tonight, and she said that when they were receiving the offering, that she felt that the Lord spoke to her that she should give everything that she has in the offering. And, she, and, and my wife said to me, she's talking about everything she saved, everything in the bank, everything. Okay. Well, we teach about sowing and reaping. We talk about giving generously, but I also talk about stewardship. Now, can I just take a moment on that? Because some people will talk about, you know, how that God provides, and if you want to call that prosperity, you know, I'm not terribly uncomfortable with that word. I know some have, it, have 
taking it to an extreme, but I also know there's been a lot of knee-jerk reaction that's unnecessary. But anyhow, I, I believe that God takes care of our needs. I, do. I believe he abundantly supplies for us. I believe that there is a covenant of tithe and offering, and that covenant of tithe is part of the way in which we harmonize with the way in which God brings blessing into our life. So I'm on track with all that, but I also teach that it's not just about sowing and reaping, it's also about stewardship. Did you understand the word stewardship? About managing what you've got. Because for a lot of people, it doesn't make any difference what they have in their hand. It will be gone tomorrow. U.S. government stats tell us that people that win the lottery at $5 million will within almost over 90% of them, over 90% that will win the lottery at $5 million in five years will be in deeper debt than they were before they won the lottery. It has nothing to do with income. It has to do with management. And so I tell people, yes, the Lord provides. Yes, sow seed and you'll get a harvest, but you've got to know how to manage it also. If you don't deal with proper biblical stewardship, it won't make any difference. Okay, so much for that. That was a side sermon. That was my pastoral message. So anyhow, I, so I, I said, okay, well, let me, let me talk to her. Let me talk to her, right? So we, we sat there and talking, and, Deb, and, and Ashley and I have a very good re, uh, relationship. In fact, everybody says that she's more like me than her mom. God bless her heart. <laughs> they never say that in a positive way. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> we, we have a good relationship. We can talk straight to each other. So I said, all right, Ash. I says, what's, what's going on? Mom tells me that you feel like you're supposed to give everything you got into the offering. We're working toward that car. She says, I know, Dad. She says, but I really feel like, I said, no, you do understand, Ash. You can't leverage God. You, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to give him a big wad, and now, you know, now he's got to. He doesn't, he doesn't got to anything. You don't, you don't corner him. You don't, you don't manipulate him. All right? You got to understand this. And not just with giving, it's all about fasting. People that think I'll just twist his arm by saying I'm going on a starvation week. That's not going to work. You got to understand what real fasting is about. But that's more than I have time to go into. So I looked at her, I said, You, you, you do understand. And she looked at me right in the eye. She said, Oh, Dad, I've heard your teaching for years. I know exactly what you're talking about. No, no. She says, That's not what I'm doing. She says, I really, I really believe God spoke to me about giving everything. I said, Well, then, girl, if that's what he did then you better get to that bank tomorrow and get it out of there. And she did. She went to the bank. And that day, the next offering came up because the meeting went for several nights. She gave it, I mean, everything, everything, everything in her wallet, everything in that bank account. She put it all in that offering. And, and then the next day comes, and, uh, you know, we're still going on in the crusade. And so I came back from the office relatively early, about 1 or 2 or 3 in the afternoon because we got service that night. And as I was walking to my bedroom, I was walking through the hallway that all the bedrooms were on. So it was her bedroom and then my son's bedroom and then, and then, the off, and then my bedroom. And so the, all the doors were open. And you know how it is when you walk down the hall and the door is open, you just tend to look on in. And I, I walked by her bedroom and, whoa, it looked like we had a tornado going on in there. I mean, all the dresser drawers were wide open, six of them, wide open, and everything's all over the floor. And it's like three hours before service. So I walked into the room. I thought, what is going on? I said, Ashley, you're in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's in the closet. And it wasn't a walk-in either. She's in the closet, and everything's out behind her on the floor from the closet. And I'm like, what are you doing? We're three hours before service. What's going on? 
And she said, oh, Dad. She turned just surprised. Oh, Dad. She said, uh, as a matter of fact, she said, you know, the Lord told me to give everything. And I got thinking about it when I was at school today that there's probably something in these drawers and in my purses. And I need to make sure that I've given all. Whoa. Oh, my God. And so she found some quarters, some dimes, a couple of ones. She scraped that together. She brought it that night. And I can't say I exactly know how the Most High sees, but I know from the story of Jesus watching the giving in the temple one time and the widow who gave the two mites what his appraisal was of her gift. And I thought to myself, I wonder when he looked at that, did he think she gave more the second night than she did the first? Hmm. <clears throat> well, I'd like to tell you that the next day we had a new car in the driveway for her, but that's not how it happened. <laughs> in fact, there wasn't any car, not the next week, not the next month, not the month after that. And we're at ground zero, and, I'm, and now Debbie and I are a little nervous. We're saying, what are we going to do? Because she doesn't have the skills set yet to drive in Dallas, or, and it won't be long, and we're going to have to release her there. And I said, we're going to have to get a car somehow. So I started looking around for a used car. I, it was more than what I could do at that time, uh, but I thought i got to do something. And we had a service, a morning service, and we always have some visitors. And, and our church was a real relational church, so when we'd go out to lunch afterwards... We never went with me and my wife. We, there'd be 20 people that would be with us, 25, all at the table. we just have to find some place we could all jam on in. And uh, so anyhow, we went to uh, dinner that day, and, and there was a first-time visitor that had come, and they, they came along, way down on the other end of the table. Didn't even hear the conversation down there. But as we were getting up to leave, I heard her make a statement that she was buying a new car and that she was going to be selling the car she had. And I thought, oh, oh, well, can I take a look at that car? Oh, sure, it's right out in the parking lot. So we went out, looked at it. It was a used car. It was several years old, not, not, not torn apart, though. It was in reasonable condition. I said, what are you wanting to get for it? She said, well, I need this much to be able to get into the next car, so I want to have it. I said, then not a problem. I said, if you'll sell it for that, I'll buy it for that. No negotiation. That was good enough for me. He said, really? He said, yep. I said, I can have, this was Sunday. I said, I need a week to move the Monday, so money, so a week from Monday, week from tomorrow, I'll have what we need to be able to get that. And uh, she said, great, great. So I got a call from her on Friday. And Friday she says, uh, Pastor, uh, I've already uh, found the new car that I want, and I, and I, I bought the car, and I need, I, need the, I, I need to get rid of this car now. I said, well, that, that's nice. I said, but I'll have the money, but it won't be till Monday. No, I need you to come today. I said, well, thank you, but I really can't come today, you know, because I'm going to need till Monday, and it's there. So don't, don't worry about it. He said, no, no, I need you to come today. So we went, and uh, when I came there to the house, there was the title and a pen laying out on the table, and uh, she said, when I was ironing my clothes day to go to work, the, I felt God say to me, I was supposed to give that car to you. So I stood a little silent for a moment, and I said, well, I said, you're close. Uh, it's not really me, though. 
it's Ashley. She's the one that has sown the seed. This is really her car. Now, for legal purposes at her age, I had to sign the title and all. And uh, I remember how that I went to, uh, I went to where she works. Uh, she worked for a, a, a man that had several gyms, and uh, I would go work out at the gym. I, I know it doesn't look like it. I didn't say I did well. I just said I went. <laughs> All right. And uh, I, and he had he had come to our church one time, one time, and that day he received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he told his wife afterwards, he says, you know, I haven't now prayed in the Spirit and seen what it's like to move in that way. I'll never, never do anything again in my life without it, but what I pray about it. And so anyhow, he called this, this, this young lady in. She was one of his prime workers there. And he said, I'm, I'm doing some changes in the business that's going to mean that your portfolio is going to be considerably expanded. And, and I'll also then be expanding your pay. Uh, he went home, he talked with his wife and his business partners about it, and, and as he was leaving the work, his wife said to him, so uh, what are you going to be, uh, what, what are you going to do for her financially? And he told her, and she said, no, okay, it was a reasonable amount. And uh, he said, but did you pray about it? <laughs> she said, you should have seen the look on his face. He said, oh, wait just a minute, woman. He said, this is business. He said, we looked at the spreadsheets. We looked at the projection. We've done what's right. Oh, she says, okay, I uh, just thought I heard you say that you would never make any decisions again but what you prayed about it. Oh, he didn't like that at all. He, he stormed out of that house, got in his Hummer, started heading to the gym when the Holy Ghost began to talk to him. And when he arrived, he had a different figure. And I happened to be there at that time. I didn't hear the discussion between him and her, but she came out on the floor and saw me and said, I think you'd like to know that I got a raise today. I said, you did? Yeah. I said, how much was it? She says, it was more than enough to make up the distance on the car. In fact, she said, it's six times what my salary has. Wow. Ah! But he's the God of more. So what actually happened was a little over a year later, because she didn't really want to be working in a gym, her heart's desire was fulfilled as he called her into missions and opened the door for the first time for her to go permanently full-time on the mission field. Listen, all I'm going to tell you is there's a lot more going on than what you know. Would you stand with me all over the room? I want, you to, I want you to stretch yourself. I want you to expect greatness. I, I don't want you just to believe that you're going to get to heaven. I want you to start believing with me that nobody, not one person in your household will be lost. Nobody. You got that? Not just your children, your grandchildren. Not just your grandchildren, but your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, even that crazy nephew. You know what I'm talking about? Not one lost. Can I shout that out again? Not one lost. Exceedingly abundantly. Exceedingly abundantly. 
above all. Above all. Don't just believe God that you'll feel better. How about not only you get healed, how about sickness leave your household? He said, I will bless your bread and your water. He's talking about your income. And I will take sickness from the midst of you. Did you hear that? I will take sickness from the midst of you. Why don't you go for that? Quit listening to the people who say, well, but maybe what, what about this or how about... No, no. Why don't you just go for it? Beyond what you ask or think. Go for it. See, I, I believe God not just for healing for me or my wife, but I, I'm believing God for generational healing. We know illness can pass from generation to generation. Why can't healing? Why would the work of the cross be less effective? the Philippian jailer, you shall be saved, you and your house. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the promises unto you and unto your children and unto all, all that are far off. He's talking generationally. Come on, praise God. I'm talking about stretching yourself right now. May the blessing of the Lord. Will you receive this? Come on, I want to pray this over you. Would you receive this right now? Would you receive this? May the blessing of the King flood you right now. Made a light of who he is and who you are in him. And his fullness in you. Become clear to you. May he be challenged in your faith. May you exceed abundantly in every area of life and things of the spirit. You're built for this. You're designed for this. It's not foreign to you. It's natural to you. It's eternally natural to you. Be filled with the light of the kingdom unseen but is among us that you live in and walk in. Be powerful in it in Jesus' name. Have emotional health because the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Be emotionally healthy in Jesus' name. And be healed in your body. Come on, do you need a miracle? Take it right now. Be healed in your body. For he cares about even this which is temporal. He bore your sicknesses in his own body on the tree. That you would be well. May you hear the voice and know the one, Jehovah Jireh, El Shaddai. May you have the testimony of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. May the light of who he is flood you and every generation. Be powerful and be not afraid. In Jesus' name. You receive that? Come on, do you own that? Praise God. Praise God. Woo, come on, praise God. Amen. 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 Pastors, you may be seated for just a moment. He's pastor's going to handle the end of the service. Now, look, he's going to receive an offering for our ministry. The call of God in our life is to reach throughout this entire nation. I preach from coast to coast in the United States. Many of you already understand that. And then we, then we reach into Canada, Mexico right now also, uh, and, and the continent of Europe. I just came back two weeks ago from London. And then 
uh, and we do great crusades in Africa. Your giving today is going to help us reach the nations. Now, there's uh, offerings are in different ways. The, the, the Friday, Saturday offering was for our U.S. ministry and for our family life. That's how what we do here at home because America needs it too. Hmm? Oh, yeah, it's not just carrying the gospel somewhere else. Come on, guys, we need it right here at home. Oh, Lord, we need it home right now like we've never needed it before. So, anyhow, that's, that's what we do. But, but today's offering, today's offering is going to help us with our international work for reaching the nations with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. You saw a little evidence of it right up there. In fact, when you're leaving today, I put in the back a display. Please don't take it. It's just, it's the only two I got. But I got a Swahili Bible back there. I told you we give these pastors Bibles. And, and my book that I wrote on divine healing that you could get. Now, it's in Swahili, so you're not going to be able to read that. At least I don't think you can. Uh, but if you go to Amazon.com, oh, Lord, here comes a shameless plug. You can, uh, it's legal to smile on Sunday morning. You can put my name, Dale Everett, in the word healing, and that book will pop up, and you can download it in English, and it'll give you some great insights to healing. But we give that to our pastors and our leaders in Africa. It means we got to print it there, ship it, get it. Your giving today helps. If you say, what are we giving for? That's what you're giving for. You're helping us do those things. You're helping us feed those guys. You're helping us then do the promo, the buy the land, and all the rest for the mass crusades. Thank you so much for your support in that way. God bless you very much.